0: What's going on guys? Welcome back into the Sports 10 Lines podcast. I'm your host Sean Davis. I'm running solo today. No Warner Sanker for today's episode. He's off take care of some personal things. But uh I'm happy to announce we are starting a great podcast series interviewing a bunch of people that are within the industry whether they played, a couple of players or a couple of people that have played in the NBA or in college basketball and collegiate sports, a couple of people that have been on coaching staffs. And uh, so today we're going to kick things off with a fantastic interview with Mo Doc Hill, currently working for Bleacher Report and The Athletic. He was a video coordinator for the Clippers for six seasons and for the assistant video coordinator for the Spurs for two. So uh, let's dive into this interview with Mo. Thank you guys for tuning in and uh, let's get into it.
1: You're listening to the most authentic place in sports. It's the Sports Headline Show.
0: Here are your hosts. John Davis and Warner Sanker. Welcome into the Sports Online Podcast. We have a very, very special guest for the first episode of our new podcast series. Obviously, we still have all of our other content, NBA related, draft related, stuff like that. But we have a very special guest for our first episode, Mo Keel. Did I say that right?
1: Yep, yep. We got it.
0: Yes. Awesome. Been practicing that a little bit. But uh, yeah. As
1: somebody that screws up more names than anybody else. I can't I can't be mad if somebody messes up mine, but you you nailed it.
0: Oh no, I mean you can ask, I, I i wish we had our co-host on Warner Sankey. I mean, he'll tell you nobody messes up more names <laughs> than me. Um but when we first when we were starting to put together the podcast series, you're one of the first people we went on on the on the show. So appreciate you obviously for for hopping on with us, man.
1: Oh no, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. Um so we access kind of everybody that we're having on and so well, first, obviously, again, thank you for having for coming on with us. How did you kind of like fall in love with basketball? Was there a specific moment, or was like a player or a game that you watched? What, what what was it for you?
1: I mean, I always loved basketball since I was a kid. I mean, I grew up. I'm, I'm old, Sean. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm. You know, I grew up in the '80s and 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 watched the 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 Lakers with with Kareem and Magic. And this is like, I mean, I caught the tail end. I didn't. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, Of all of that stuff. And I loved basketball there. And then and then obviously the Jordan era and things like that. Like I've I've always loved basketball, but I never thought I'd be working in basketball or in sports media at any point um, till much later. But basketball was something I've always had a massive passion for. So um, and was a, a supreme diehard fan, you know, all the way until I started working in the league.
0: Yeah. Um, so right now, I believe you're working with the Bleach Report for articles and the Athletic with podcasts and stuff like that, producing great content for those guys. What? Um, how are you enjoying that so far, working with those guys?
1: Oh, I love it. I mean, you know, it's it's fun getting to work. Uh, first off, podcasts are a lot of fun and just, yes. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's just good conversations, right? You get to talk with people and things like that. And, you know, it's very friendly. I love the guys I pod with. Mm-hmm. You know, from the guys I do nerders, she wrote Dave Dufour and and Seth Partnow to, you know, the the basket buds on the athletic. With you know, I'm I'm laughing so much on Sundays when we're recording with Zach Harper, you know, Trayvon Edwards, Jay King, James Edwards III, and and whoever else comes on. Like, they just make me laugh. I mean, I can't. I mean, I had a friend that was listening one time when I was recording, and 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 she was just like, you were cackling the whole time. Like, you know, it's like yeah, sometimes it's just really funny. Um, and so you just have a good time with all of that stuff. So, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying all of it. I love writing in the sense of, I love coming up with ideas and and putting stuff out there for Bleacher Report. The process of writing is very difficult for me. I'm not a very good writer. Um, and shout out to my editors at Bleacher Report. They do a great job making it look like I can put a complete sentence together, but like you know it's the behind the scenes it's it's it, it looks like a fourth grader wrote some of these things and they got to help fix it um but it's but overall i love it
0: yeah apparently like when i do our lakers nation post game shows with my guy trevor lane apparently i laugh too much it's like it'll be a comment or two like is sean like high like why is he laughing so much <laughs>
1: yeah uh, it's, it's just fun right Yeah, I know. Time. Yeah, this you're... is the whole point of the podcast it's not yeah. radio it's not interviews it's meant to be a conversation yeah you know you're gonna have fun you're gonna laugh you're gonna crack jokes you're gonna do whatever you want
0: oh man um so let's start off with like the beginning of your career so you start off or well kind of like how everything kind of progressed you were a manager at USC for three seasons 04 to 06 correct me if I say anything wrong can you just talk about your time at USC and how much you might have learned from that experience or just like that experience for you
1: you know I I'm going to take it back a little bit further Sean like it really started for me in junior college. Okay. You know and I was uh at Santa Monica City College and that's kind mm. of how I fell into it. Um this and again it was just going to be a hobby. I was a manager for the basketball team there. Uh and you know 6 months in I was like okay cool I want to do this. I want to be a part of this. And and just from that way you know I transferred to UC Irvine was a manager there, transferred to USC was a manager there. I'm a super 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 senior at that point Sean just cuz of transfers their credits don't always transfer and you, things
0: like that. You predicted the future. Now we're yeah. having like 6 7 year seniors. You predict yeah. the future.
1: You know, uh so we that was that was the deal but you know what I learned in every stop was you know I picked up you know not just coaching tidbits and things but stuff I liked stuff I didn't like stuff I thought yo that's really smart stuff I thought like hey we I don't like that we do this. I don't think it's that smart and things like that. And, you know, it's, it's, and I've learned that everywhere I've gone, you know, and every place has had, you know, the, the stuff you want to take away from and stuff you, you, you kind of go like, I don't think I'm going to need that. And I think um, through my time at USC, I kind of, you know, and, and, and really all the, all the places I were before USC, just the commitment you got to have and not yes. just not just sort of doing the work but doing the extra work you know and and paying the extra attention you know i was a manager but i also would work, help our video coordinator mm-hmm. you know i would i would be in the office way more um than a normal student manager was uh mm-hmm. probably to the detriment of my grades but like you know i was putting in a lot of effort in that cuz i knew that's where i wanted to be and 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 how i wanted to uh, uh i wanted to develop a career in that area so you know it's it's the the main thing I learned was the amount of commitment you gotta put into these things.
0: Absolutely. And really quickly just to go on, you kinda of made a point about just like learning different things. Just like I always like learning, especially as a manager. Um a lot of people that follow the pockets so know I'm a manager currently for you for UC unfortunately our season to end the way we wanted. But I don't think people understand how like little unless you're a head manager and even then like how little you talk and communicate with the head coach. You're more just like a sponge and just like listening or whatever. Um, I think that I'm glad you brought that up. Sean, I
1: didn't even realize you were a manager. No, like that's, but that's an important thing there, right? Like we're there to be, we're, we're there to be seen, not heard. And and that's kind of the, the ideal scenario there, you know, and if they're calling you out, it's because you messed up. you know, or something. Right. Like it's not, it's not because I mean, you know, it's a, it's a thankless job, but that job prepared me to work in the NBA, you know, and it's not just not just, not just being in the basketball environment, but just the constant hard work. Right. And it's the small little things that you got to take care of and grinding constantly, you know, as a manager, you know, you're there before practice well before setting things up you know if you're at a, a first a one and
0: last one out
1: right if you're at a small university you're doing the laundry because you don't have an equipment room yep um you're 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 keeping these things uh clean and stuff and organizing and all that stuff so you know it's it's that kind of stuff that you kind of pick up on as a manager and and like for me i when people who are trying to get in the MBA and and and, and talk to me about what should i do if you're in college you got to go Go work in the athletic department, whether it's a student manager or whatnot. But like, go get because that's the the grind that you need to understand. Because you'll find out if you really want to do it or not. And you know, I found out. You know, one of the GMs that that brought me on said, you know, they just loved the fact that I was a manager because they knew I knew how to grind.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I wanted to have this discussion. I felt like you'd be the perfect person to have it with. Can we talk about a little bit how being a manager is like just so underrated? in how like it's a certain mentality you have to have because like you said it's seen not heard very little you're gonna get any credit like it's like you can't have much of an ego in terms of that you can have an ego maybe outside of it but you can't really be looking for praise or whatever because i mean you're gonna be disappointed rather quickly um can we just talk about how kind of underrated it is and yeah
1: yeah no it's 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 hard in the sense because like listen when you're 18 19 years old 20 like you know and you're you're around these guys like this is cool you want to be part of it but your your role in being part of it is literally just doing the the grunt work you Mm -hmm. know and and your job is to make it so that the assistant coaches can just go coach you know it's it's sprinting to a wet spot and wipe up you know the, the. the stuff, right? You know, or, or or having a ball in hand so that as soon as the ball gets out of play, you throw it right back in so guys can keep going. It's those small, small details. It's it's very detail oriented in that stuff, but you you got to learn it's, it's not about you. You know, it's bigger than you, you know, when you're a manager, it's, it's, you're a small piece in this thing. And you're an important piece. I want to make sure it's clear, even though we say, you know, it's, it's thankless and things like that. The coaches also understand how important it is they don't want to be the ones having to wipe up the floor or whatnot or things like that you know there are coaches that will and they to be honest they should but it's it's in the sense of like they understand though you're you're in the important piece to the puzzle and it's just not something if you're going in there thinking i'm going to be the star of the show like you're you're in the wrong business you're not you're not even going to be you're the grip you're the dude in hollywood holding the boom mic or whatever you're not going to you're not supposed to be in the shot And I think those are the things your your managers, you you develop that and it takes you a long way if you want to continue on the path of of working in sports and things like that, because a lot of jobs in sports, not just being a student manager or whatever, but in sports in general, a lot of them are thankless jobs. There's so many people that work behind the scenes that people don't even know are involved with a team and are important aspects of a team. I didn't know until I started working with an NBA team going like, wow, there's so many people that, and, and they all have an important piece, you know, to, to making sure these guys can go play and the coaches can go coach. And, and I think there's a, there's a lot of stuff to it, but you know, it's being a manager. I loved it. It trained me for all this stuff. It got me ready, you know, to, to, to work in the NBA, but it's one of those things. If you're going in there with an ego thinking you're going to be the star of the show. Man, you're, you, your your job's to be a fly on the wall, yeah, and you said it best. Literally. Soak up, be a sponge, and soak up all the information there, um, and 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 just go from there. But if you're, it, that's the job as a manager.
0: Yeah, like if if you just be a sponge and soak up as much information as you can, it may even help you outside of it. And I know this isn't about me; it's more about you. That's why you're here. But that's kind of how I got the Lakers Nation gig. Because right. I do film breakdowns for them and stuff. Obviously, you're a great follow. Follow you at mo underscore NBA. Um, he does a lot of great film work as well. Um, but, yeah, that's how I kind of got that gig. So, yeah, just like being a sponge. It's like taking the knowledge you learn from one place and applying it somewhere else, obviously. Right. Um, so, can we talk about you were at USC for three seasons? Unfortunately, again, correct me if I'm wrong. You guys did not make an NCAA tournament bid. You're three years there, you guys made it the year after you left. But can we talk about how good I mean, obviously I wasn't uh well, I guess I was, but can we just talk about how good Nick Young was and how young he was, how good a young Nick Young was before he got drafted and had that crazy one of the year after you left.
1: Yeah, first off, I had incredibly bad luck in a lot of <laughs> a lot of those situations. I came too late and left too early right. in a lot of places to get, <laughs> to really enjoy the good stuff. Right, seriously. Um, you know, in uh, a couple of my stops, but the... Uh,
0: Arguably all Nick, of them. <laughs> <laughs> Fair.
1: <laughs> Nick Young was... Nick, unbelievable talent, right? You kind of... You, you saw the raw potential in Nick Young, you know, his freshman year. And you can just see the skill, the, his ability to kind of just drive, get to the basket, score, and things like that. Remember, I'm seeing him when he's 18 years old, you know, at that point, just super skinny, super slim and, 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 and things like that. He's just kind of beginning to learn actual basketball. And I think, you know, he he's just, he, it was a great talent. It was a hard year, you know, Nick's freshman year. Cause that was the year I believe we let go at uh, mid season coach baby gets fired. We got crushed by like 40 something, in uh, North Carolina mm-hmm. and then, and then got run out of LaSalle the next like few days later, which is like, Oh wow. Like we're, I, we're, we're, like, we're oh, pretty wow, bad.
0: We're,
1: yeah. We're bad. Like this isn't, you know, and, and, and it wasn't because of the talent. is just, we had a, a lot of issues that just team wise mm-hmm. didn't work out. Um, but I think there's a, uh, um, you know, like growth there from him. And it's, you just knew though, there was a, a, a crap ton of talent. Mm-hmm. With him, you know, when you when you saw him on the court and the way he could do things and 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 stuff like that, so you know I mean, Nick, I mean, you he, he saw it. He had a, a run in the NBA. He's an NBA champion with the Warriors and things yeah. like that. And and you know, him and I crossed paths when when I was with the Clippers and he was a big part in us beating Memphis in that uh playoff series, especially in that comeback where I think he had nine a uh, three threes, yeah, uh, in the second half. That was a big part of it. So I mean, it, it's just fun to. It was fun to watch him kind of go from what he was at a freshman at USC to see him in the pros.
0: So, this is one. So, I actually, obviously, doing a little bit of research going into the interview. This is one of the things I was already excited, but I was even more. I don't know if the words were uh, impressed or respect how you got the video coordinator gig coming out of USC. Can you just describe like how the hell that happened? Because I feel like that's so rare for a student manager to get that coming immediately straight out of college. I get it. USC is a high major program, but still.
1: Well, I think I was an, in, uh, I came in as an intern with the Clippers. Um, okay. But, but the important thing is, um, you know, it was my time at USC allowed me to, to get an opportunity to, to actually get to know Neil O'Shea uh, who at the time was an assistant coach for the Clippers. And then in the offseason would run these draft workouts and I got to be a part of the draft workouts and really spent the whole summer, you know, working out a couple other players um, with with him. And when I say working out a lot of other players, I just passed. It wasn't like I ran workouts or anything like that. I just passed, you know, um, and things like that. It That's was what cool. you got to
0: tell them. Like, when I tell my buddies, hey, I got to work out a player. I got to work out X, Y, or Z. I, I'm, I'm probably grabbing a couple balls, just rebounding past them. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not, not doing nothing. You
1: know, like I'm running pick and roll with Carlos Boozer, <laughs> right. but it's not like I'm telling him what to do or, oh, right. you got to pivot to – no, it's Carlos Boozer. I'm an idiot. Like, there's a level of difference, you know, in in that stuff, but it allowed me to get to know uh, Neil. And then from that, you know, he, he got elevated to being the director of player personnel. And then I got to, uh, um, you know, after I graduated, got an internship from him, he brought me into the video room. And hence that started my path along the, the journey of the NBA.
0: Again, uh, just continuing to develop the point that's really not who you know or it's not what you know is who you know. At least the start. Maybe your, your knowledge will obviously grow when you get your foot in the door, but you gotta get your foot in the door first.
1: Yeah, and I'll say this though, it goes even one step further more than just who you know. It's who knows you.
0: Ooh, you know, and it's,
1: it's 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 important in that, you know, you make yourself available. You know, I uh I tell this to people all the time who who ask for this thing. You gotta go work every job. Uh, there's a tournament on a weekend somewhere and they need some help and it's an AAU thing you need to go do that whatever you can't turn down especially when you're trying to break in you can't turn down opportunities you know the the I used to do stuff for the John Wooden tournament Mm -hmm. and 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 basically was just kind of my job was to make sure we didn't lose any basketballs honestly that was it and I got to be around the teams I got to watch practices I got to talk with interact with coaches and things like that and and that was it but it was a small thing but it was important because i got to be around and see more people and it was people who got to know me a little bit more and then from that the opportunities develop in there you know so it is important to network and that's part of networking is who you know developing relationships contacts and things like that but what comes from that is they know you
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and then when an opportunity comes that you didn't even know exists they might reach out to you, and that's that's the important thing about it's not just who you know, but who knows you.
0: Yeah, I, I haven't honestly even thought about it that way. That, that that's a great way to kind of frame it. Um, so now we're transitioning a little bit more into your NBA career. You've obviously watched a ton of film over nearly the last sixteen years, and going to your first year, looking from then looking to now, what's been like? How is the NBA outside of obviously the three point shot and Steph Curry? In a good way, changed the game of basketball, and in a bad way, it's ruined the game of basketball. But uh, I'll like,
1: argue, I'll argue. I I don't think he ruined the game of basketball. But no, I'm saying like it I'm the,
0: saying in like in a joking way. Like I I, I yeah. think he wholeheartedly like, changed the game for the better. But like now, 70 year olds are pulling up from 45 feet in warm up.
1: Yeah, that's but that's on the coaches. That's on those dudes teaching these kids. Because yeah. you know the, the the here's the important thing about that. Right is. It's it's we see this all the time with guys dribbling the ball. We Mm -hmm. never talk about it, but we we never talk about the dudes with with amazing ball handlers, you know how they ruin the game because now you have seven year olds trying to cross over when they can't even dribble with either hand. Like you know it's 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 you know we're we're just saying because we're seeing that these are they're kids they're seven they're going to mimic whatever the hell they see. But you know it's on on it's on the coach it's on us as how we teach the game, and and at those lower levels all the way up to the pros in in that sense, you know, when we see that. So um I know you were saying it jokingly, but a lot of people say, well, yeah, these kids shooting this stuff. Well, kids were trying to do the AI crossover, you know, at at an extremely young age without being able to dribble with both hands. Like, you know, there's there's a whole lot of stuff there with that. But I think your question in terms of how's the game changed over my time.
0: Yeah, like schematically and stuff like that, because there there's certain like I mean as watching a lot of film as well, like there's just things now that teams can't do defensively in terms of pick and roll coverages or some other things offensively that have just p- pretty much been erased from the game. So kind of like from a schematics thing, like how has the league changed outside of the three-point shot? But you can't really take that out.
1: Yeah, no, I think the most important thing you got, first thing you got to know when you have these conversations, you got to preface it with, they changed the illegal defense rule and then they changed the hand-checking rule right? And 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 we're beginning to see defenses change now a little bit where they get a little bit more leeway and can be a little bit more physical now just starting this season. But that changed the game massively. It made it harder to post up. You know, as much as everybody talks about the death of the post game, I go, illegal defense has a big reason for that. You were now able, and the reason why they changed the illegal defense rule was because Shaq was unstoppable right in the post. You got the ball in the Shaq's hands and it was very difficult for teams to figure out how to handle that and it allowed them to put in a quasi zone and things like that and, 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 and so on. So that's the first starting point. Cause that had a lot of ripple effects and you've seen it shift though, from this being a primarily big man league or post-up league to
0: a guard wing guard oriented century. league. Yeah. Right.
1: You know? And I think that became the thing. Cause like even early in my NBA career, you had to have a big man, right? You had, had to, be to go able
0: inside to, out first, inside yeah.
1: out, right? Everything was, was like that. How did you deal with Shaq? How did you deal with Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, Chris Weber? And like, they're all, they're all different players and had different types of games, but you had to have the ability to have a big man that can kind of slow things down a little bit. And I think that was the, that's kind of the biggest change we've seen, but a lot of it has stemmed from the rule changes and and obviously, you know, analytics has played a role into it. Everybody blames analytics. Analytics still values layups more than threes at this point. You know, I don't think people, people just want to say analytics because people are shooting more threes. They're shooting more threes because there's more space on the court than we've ever had. And it's, it's, it's because of the way teams have to defend and stuff. So a lot of things have changed. Um, you know, it's, it went from a primary post-up league to a heavy pick-and-roll league you mm-hmm. know and i think then and and heavy isolations were always a thing people go go back and watch the jordan bulls they'd run the triangle until jordan said okay that's enough until, of that. right i'm yeah. going iso you know and, that, and and you know and they would run the triangle into an isolation play for jordan <laughs> on the in the in the you know when he was younger jordan it was on the wing when he was older jordan it was on the block it you know there's you know so there's always an isolation stuff there and and you know, a degree of matchup hunting and things like that. So that's kind of always been the undercurrent, but how we've gotten to it has changed massively. So I think, you know, there's, and, and now there is a big, there's no denying it, right? There's mm-hmm. more priority on, you got to be able to shoot three ball because it's very simple math. Three is worth more than two. It's not, it's not anything harder than that. And now the guy's talent level has gotten so good yes. that they can knock down these shots that, I mean, Steph's a freak Dame's a freak you know Trey Young's kind of a freak but like guys are shooting them deeper and deeper you know so it's like you kind of have that so I think it's it's uh, a little bit different in that regard so you know I mean it's it's just it's a world of difference but you know everybody who gets upset about it it was different in the 90s than it was in the 80s right it was different from the 80s than it was from the 70s that's just evolution and that's okay. Like people are very afraid of it, but that's that's fine.
0: Yeah, there was one point that you brought up about like the offense and how like Jordan and they would still run triangle, but like it was until like Jordan said, "Just give me the damn ball," right? Right. And that's kind of been that. I, I don't want to spend too much time on this team later because on this episode because I've already talked on end about them all year. But that's my, one of my biggest criticisms with LeBron with the Lakers. Not LeBron, but it's okay. LeBron, AD, or Russ. You do whatever. We're just going to stand in corners and not move, not even cut. But, like, with Kobe and the Lakers and his heyday, it was, okay, we're going to run the triangle. Or if Kobe's high, give him the damn ball. And everybody move out the way. Jordan and the Bulls, we're going to run the triangle unless Jordan's cooking or unless he just demands the ball. And if that's the case, then we'll get out of the way. There's just not, like, a, a base offense that if LeBron's off the floor or if LeBron's not going – that you can like, like Golden State, unless Steph is going insane, we're going to run a lot of motion stuff, right? right. Same time, we're going to move the ball. Like, there isn't a base offense unless your star player is really on fire, and that's been my biggest criticism with the Because I'm glad you brought that point up. There you go. Um. So kind of moving on, your first stint with the Clippers, you had two stints within both three seasons. You start off with Coach Don Levy. Uh, you guys go 40 and 42, your first season, if I stand corrected. Yeah. Um, But the next two seasons, I think you won 23 games and 19 games. What what was the thing with those Clippers teams? Obviously, they weren't maybe the most talented teams. But, I mean, what, what, what did you gain out of those three years? And what was it like working with Coach Dunleavy?
1: I mean, one, Coach Dunleavy doesn't get enough credit. He's a great X's and O's coach. I don't think people understand that. And I think a lot of times we look at a coach – and we just kind of go, okay, like, you see the product on the floor. These guys, you know, what, what, you know, like, what the hell? You know, he must be a bad coach. And I think sometimes he gets a little bit unfair criticism on it. Some of it's fair, you know, because I think part of it and the important thing of coaching is, is being able to kind of sell it. And I think that was a little bit challenging. But also, we got to talk about the fact, after we go 40 and 42, Elton Brand tears his Achilles in an offseason workout he's gone for the year, you know, and then, you know, and back that,
0: then an Achilles tear, you're not out for one year. You're out part it of the second a year lo- too. Yeah.
1: Long time. It takes a long time to come back from that. Um, and then on top of that, you know, we had the Sean Livingston disastrous knee injury, um, you know, and, and, and that was, I mean, I was there, it was brutal. Um, and I think, you know, even now I still can't really shake it out of my head. But you know, so, like we we had some really bad injuries and some mm-hmm. bad luck, you know that my last year, you know that off season we brought in Baron Davis to team up with yeah. brand, but brand leaves to go to Philly, like our plans just never worked out, mm-hmm. you know and 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 what we were trying to make happen, so I think from there, it just became challenging to you know if 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 we had a Baron Davis and a healthy Elton brand, it might be a different maybe we don't win twenty three games that season, maybe we win. 40 something and make the playoffs. Um, so it's along those lines, but what I learned most importantly was those first three years was just an introduction into the NBA, you know, coming from college into the NBA took a while to kind of learn the, the ins and outs, the, the speed of the game's very different, you know, and, 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 and trying to pick up things and trying to be able to recognize things right away. and, and, and as a video guy, being able to be on top of that stuff, but just kind of figuring out the NBA the first three years was uh, took a while, you know, and it, and, and, and it took me a little bit of time. And, you know, I wasn't even on the road full time at that point. So it was, you know, just trying to f- keep up. And this is pre like DVRs are just coming into pl- into play and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But really, we're breaking down games that night. Like, yeah. during the basketball season, I didn't see anybody barely saw friends, you know, and things like that. Cause mm-hmm. even when the team was on the road, I was still having to work on breaking down games and things like that, that evening to have it ready for coaches the next day and things like that. And I think, you know, it's, it goes back to what I said earlier, just understanding the time commitment,
0: yeah. you know,
1: was, was, was again, the thing I had to learn. Cause it was, it was even more time consuming than being a manager, you know, to a degree. <laughs> So it's, it, you know, and it's, it's, it's funny cause you just kind of shook your head a little bit like shocked, but it's like, yeah, like, yo, I lived in the video room, you know, and a lot of video guys did. It's not like, wow, Mo worked so hard. He stayed in the video room. No, that was the job. Yeah. as every video guy lives in the video room, you know? And I think that's kind of the thing. Um, and just kind of learning and understanding that stuff was kind of the stuff I took away in that first stint.
0: You brought up kind of how some of the front office's plans and how you know Ellen Brand tears his Achilles in an off-season workout. You bring up how uh, obviously the devastating Sean Livingston injury, and and I didn't even plan on asking you this, but our guy, our co-host Warner Sacred, he wanted me to ask. Like, was it like how bad was it to see it in person? Obviously, you 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 watch it over and over again. You you see how bad it is, but like, no, God, it that was, was gruesome.
1: It was it was really uh, a weird thing because so little bit kind of behind the curtain when we're breaking down games we have two we have two feeds we have the high angle feed which is basically a feed that's not available for tv right and that's you know um and that never cuts away or anything like that and then you have the tv feed which is also probably like three or four seconds behind and so you know we sometimes would break down the tv feed and have somebody watch the high angle feed to kind of almost be a spotter and let our, our guys know when they're breaking down the game, like some stuff's coming Well, I was watching the high angle feed and everybody else was watching the TV feed. And I just remember he went up for a layup and I just was like, huh? I go something weird just happened to Sean. Like that's not something weird happens and then and everybody's like what and then we look over to the and and, and I switch over to the hot, the regular TV feed because I know I'm a little bit they're a little bit behind and then you see it and we all just jump then cuz then you see his knee go the wrong way and that's just gruesome you know and 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 there's no other way to describe it i mean it was and and everybody's heart went into the pit of their stomach like you everybody wanted to vomit and it's not because we were yeah, clean, but just everything we felt bad the kid was about to sign a massive extension of the deal. Um, yep. You know, it's it's all, like everything that in that moment, you're thinking of all this. You're like, damn, is he ever going to be able to play again? You know, when you look at the when you hear the the list of things that happened, it was a dislocated knee his ACL, PCL, MCL. I didn't even know there were that many. CLs. <laughs> you know, it was like there was like I was like, wow, you know, it uh, did something to his uh, uh, tibia, I think. Yeah, you know, it was or, 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 like there was just so much stuff, and it was just like, damn, you know. And they stretcher him off and they bring the stretcher actually by the video room before they're able to take him into the uh ambulance, and you can just hear him in pain. Like it's brutal, you know, and it's gruesome. And it's like, it's something I never want to watch that injury again, you know, because I actually can re talking to you now. I'm replaying it in my head, the whole thing of like hmm, that was weird, what was that, and then looking over them, being like, oh wow, and it was a non contact.
0: Yeah. Injury. The only thing I can, like, even come close, and this still is even on that level of, like, watching live in person, was uh Paul George's injury in the, Olymp- the uh, like, Olympic workouts yeah. or whatever. The 5-on-5, yeah. they had an ESPN that year or whatever. That's the only thing that comes... Gordon Hayward is kind of up there. I mean, the fact that we're kind of even talking about this is kind of depressing, but <laughs> that's, like... Yeah, no, I mean,
1: there there are a lot of injuries, and you see him in... A, you, Oof, you know, I mean, yeah. you know, even, even you want to go like the Dak Prescott injury. Yeah, that was bad in, too. In football. Yeah. I watch MMA and, and, and I've seen some gruesome ones off of leg kicks and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, God. Like, you know, so you just kind of, you, 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 you see it and it's, it always, anytime I see that stuff always brings me back to the Sean Livingston one.
0: So again, that was kind of about, uh, for a point. So you talk about how the front office plans never really panned out and, I want to address this because I feel like, sadly, going back to the Lakers front office and coaching, like there has to be like a mutual understanding because the coach can't really operate without the front office. Because the front office and the front office has a big and they most of the times fully decide the roster. Can you talk about how that might have kind of affected? You kind of alluded to it a little bit, like Coach Dunleavy gets a bad rap, and yet coaches are flawed. There's only a few, and even those coaches, like the greats, like Pop is. He has some flaws, especially nowadays, but, like, you still need a roster that caters to your style because every coach has a style. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, well, you know, the funny thing was, you know, Coach Dunleavy had a lot of power in the front office, you know, um, at that time. I, You know, so I think there's some of it was him putting the pieces together, you know, but just in general, you need to have everybody in line. Yeah your owners have to be in line with your front office with your coaching staff and your with your players it needs to be a straight line everybody understands the the plan here and you know like I kind of talk about it a lot in the context of the Houston Rockets even though they didn't win a lot you know but you know and this is before I think Tillman uh took over it, it, you know it was Ownership was in line with the vision Daryl Morey had. Daryl Morey was in line with the vision Mike D'Antoni had. Yep. And James Harden was locked in step with all these guys and in on the, the the plans, you know, for a while. And, and and that's kind of how those things develop. And you have that in Golden State. Ownerships in with the front office, with Steve Kerr and the player. they're all kind of, you see them going forward in the right direction. It's the times when you look and you see teams that are that are a little bit fractured when you have a coaching staff kind of going adversarial versus the front office. I mean, you have the, the, the Lakers to a degree, but I don't even think it's as bad as you, 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 you think Sean, just because it's not even so much that it's, that's only something we started to see in the past few weeks Mm -hmm. really with, with LeBron chirping up, but they were all lockstep really the whole way to the point that they made a lot of bad mistakes. You know, you, the key thing is you got to make the right decision. But go yeah. look at New York with the Knicks. You know, it's it's they trade for Cam Reddish and Tibbs doesn't play Cam Reddish. Yeah. that's a that's a front office and coaching staff that's not in line and mm. not showing that cohesiveness. You know, and this is those are the things I also learned. You know, behind the scenes, you know, kind of understanding like there's there is times where it's almost adversarial between the front office and the coaching staff. That's rarely conducive to a, a a winning environment, right? And there's a lot of that. And I think it's it's the teams that are more collaborative are the ones that are going to be more successful, you know. And 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 everybody's kind of on the same page. And I think, you know, with the time with the Clippers, just you can't. I don't know how mad we can be. Like some of these moves just didn't pan out. And also, it's not like we had an owner that was willing to spend a ton of money at that time, so. <laughs> You have a lot of issues there, and I think that's and that's part of it too. Ownership not fully in line with the vision, you know. So, okay, we're trying to win games on the cheap, and it's hard to do that in the NBA. Absolutely, you know. You know so, it's you know maybe you can get away with it in baseball, and 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 so maybe not so much anymore. But in the past, you can't really do that in the NBA. And I think that was one of the things that really hampered that team more often than not. Was we had an ownership group that wasn't interested in really spending. So now. We're making decisions sometimes that are more cost-effective than, than this is what's going to help the guys on the court.
0: We have a saying on the show. There's a reason why, and this I feel applies to not only the NBA, but the NFL as well, and speaking of the NFL's NFL, end of our free agency right now. In um, a, lot, a lot of leagues, there's a reason why good organizations stay good and relevant. There's a reason why bad teams stay bad for a long time. And often, more often than not, those bad teams – They stay bad longer than the good teams stay good. I mean,
1: the Sacramento Kings. That's (laughs) that's just your case in point right there. I mean, it's not, you know, they've, they've, how many iterations of the Lakers have we had (laughs) since the Kings made the playoffs? Like, you know, it's, it's just, just think about that. And, you know, again, and the most important thing, I think people kind of always think the most important thing is having a star player. The biggest competitive advantage in, in sports, it's not just NBA, but in sports, is having a good owner. Having an owner that's going to invest and put money in and really kind of uh be willing to make the moves that need to be done. And I think that's one of those things. You can win with a bad owner. You can even have a good run with a bad owner and and things like that. But like longevity? Yeah. Longevity, it's it's it comes down to ownership because it gets expensive. Look how expensive this Warriors roster is. You know, like this is, I mean, with, with what they're paying and things like that. Now let's hypothetical the Clippers, lo- now, Clippers, I mean, bomber, I mean, all in, you know, how much it cost. Cool. Is this going to help us? Great. Let's do it. Don't, don't talk to me about the costs and things like that. You know, it changes. Like, listen, if the Warriors flame out in the first round, I wonder if ownership starts going like, Hey man, we paid a hundred million out, in taxes yeah. or whatever their number is. And we lost in the first round. What's up? you know what what are we what what happened and and so on so i think there's a lot of stuff that goes into these things in that stuff so you know the the longevity of these things go you know really starts with ownership like just look at the spurs you know before you know for the longest run peter holt you wouldn't even knew he was the owner it was just behind the scenes but he took care of business and let his guys do his stuff and that's how they 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 turned this franchise into one of the best dynasties for the longest time.
0: That is the perfect transition, Mo. You, you're making my job easy over here, man. Make it's me what work I do, a little buddy. bit. <laughs> that's that's the perfect transition. So now, after your three year stint, your first three year stint with the Clippers, you go over to San Antonio. You work with their video staff. Can you just talk about what the transition was like for you for San Antonio? You were there for two years and like work. What was it like working with Pop to a certain degree? I mean,
1: you. Here's the thing. I was coming from a really bad Clipper team, right? We just we the the Clippers just got the first pick in the draft, just drafted Blake Griffin, and then I'm going to San Antonio, and San Antonio just traded for Richard Jefferson. Like I'm going to a team with championship expectations. It was a a world of difference, you know. Kind of walking in, going like, "Whoa, this is wild," Um, you know, and just kind of looking at it was like this is the big leagues mm-hmm. you know no no offense to the clippers at the time but we were so bad we pretty much knew we were done you know with the season by december like we knew okay we 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 can start making vacation plans for mid-april Whereas san antonio it's like yo we're expecting to go to june mm-hmm. you know and then whatever happens so you know it's that kind of level of expectations you're like yo i gotta bring this every day not to say i didn't work hard or bring it every day with the clippers but it was you know i gotta pick it up another notch you know this is this is a whole other level you know of uh no screwing around or anything like that and and you know part of the challenge too when you're coming to a new environment is learning the environment Mm -hmm. you know and, and what was acceptable with the clippers good or bad may not have been acceptable with with the spurs you know or their expectations are a little bit different just the funniest story is the first game i clipped for them you know and in in not even preseason but i'm breaking down some stuff and james borrego is now the coach of the charlotte hornets you know was the head video guy with with the spurs he looks at my the 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 game i clipped, and he goes like man why is this only 50 something minutes and i'm like oh well this is how we clip these games in it with the clippers and he looks at me and goes okay like we do it this way just learning that just how you clip games different you know and and what's that that so so you, you know i'm coming in almost again and having to relearn the video room but just now in the spurs mentality and it would have been the same way if somebody went from the spurs to the clippers you know in my position they would have had to learn how to clip it for the clippers you know and that how that coaching staff wanted things so there's a level of like you have to relearn stuff and things like that. And you know, it was a, a unbelievable experience. I mean, coach Pop is one of the best, if not the best. I think he's the best coach of all time, even if he didn't have the all-time wins record. To me, he's just one of the best. Oh yeah,
0: he's the greatest of all time. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't think it's close in that environment. You know, he's shifted the way he's coached, he's changed his style, went from a post-up game to heavy pick and roll stuff. He's getting a lot out of his young kids now. I think you know you're you 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 watch what he's done and I think he's one of the best, but I think he's even a better human being than he is a coach. And again, that's saying a lot in the the praise of how how high I regard him as a coach, but he just it was never about him. That's the most important thing with with Pop. It was always about what's good for the players. What do the players need? What do they want? How do we make it happen for them? How can I get the best out of them? And it was always about that with the Spurs organization. Everything was player focused. How do we get the best out of the players? It, 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 we went and got an iPad as soon as it came out, you know, because before we were using an iTouch to put free throws on there for guys to look at Sheesh. their free throws or their shots, you know, this is, but this is how old I am sean right and then the ipad comes out we go get the ipad because it's a bigger screen and guys can watch their stuff and it's mm-hmm. doing that kind of stuff and, and those types of things and learning that and it's 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 you know when you're with the spurs organization it's first class all the way pop takes care of everybody takes care of his assistant coaches took care of us in the video room took care of the training staff the strength and conditioning staff like it's first class all the way and it's but it's all geared towards you got to perform and it's nobody is bigger than the spurs organization and and the most important thing is how are we taking care of our players so it was a a a massive difference going from the clippers to the spurs and one not just expectations not just in um how i work in the video room but just how the organizations operate were totally different and part of it too and this is a little bit sometimes we we forget about it but what you can do in San Antonio, you necessarily cannot do in a city like Los Angeles. Right. And, 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 you know, my favorite story is J.R. Smith kind of puts it properly. He goes from the Knicks to the Cavs, and everybody's like, wow, you're playing so well with the Cavs. You're shooting so well. He's like, yeah, there's nothing else to do in Cleveland. You know, it's, it's, it's along those lines of like, I'm just going to practice, I'm going to get my shots up. I have nothing else to do. Um, a lot more distractions in New York, a lot more distractions in LA than in San Antonio and those types of environments. So, you know, it's, it was a very interesting time and it made me realize, again, it goes back to the time commitment of like, wow, I was working really hard with the Clippers. I got to work even harder here and not even harder, but smarter and figuring stuff out in San Antonio. And that was kind of a, a, a switch there for me when I went to San Antonio.
0: <clears throat> Quick follow up, you kind of alluded to it a little bit. Can you talk about like, like Miami kind of has this—I don't want to say mythology, but kind of like mythology about them, especially with their culture that it gets raved about. Can you talk about a little bit like the Spurs' culture? You kind of talked about a little bit there. And what's your favorite pop story from your time that you got to work with them?
1: Um, I think the the mythology is—it's real. It's culture right Mm -hmm. and everybody every organization has a culture whether it's good or bad is a different story but every organization has a culture and when you go to san antonio the culture is yo you're gonna work your butt off you're gonna work hard and you know where this is players anybody you're gonna come in and this is you know where it's it's never about yourself it's kind of what we go back to when we're talking about the beginning of our conversation about being a manager put your egos aside at the door you know and you know there's a big uh when you walk into the spurs facility there's the whole stone and hammer thing because it's it's the idea of you know the the stone cutter phrase where and i'm gonna butcher this and i i hope nobody from the spurs hears this because they'll be mad at me i'm supposed to know this by heart um
0: i make sure i post it if you forget if you mess it up yeah
1: (laughs) yeah no i'm i'm 100 gonna mess it up i'm kind of forgotten it but you know when the stone cutter finally cracks open the stone, it's not the, that final crack, that hit that opened it, but it was the hundred hits that came before it that led to it. It's all process. It's all a step. It's all those things. And you got to stay with the system and things like that. That's the Spurs culture, right? It's not the the one step that everybody sees, right? It's Muhammad Ali has a great quote of, you know, when I win it, the, the championship or when I win a boxing match, it's because all those days of training beforehand that came for it. And this is just the, 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 the end of the journey. And I think those are the types of things you get from the Spurs culture in that sense, you know, it's, it's unbelievable environment and everybody's geared towards one thing and it's winning plain and simple and other places say they're about winning, but they don't fully understand it the way the Spurs do.
0: Yeah. And I've said this on the show as well in the past, every player wants to win every coach wants to win or whatever. But I don't think every team has, like, the will to win, if that makes sense. Like,
1: it, it's, you know what, everybody wants to win on their own terms.
0: Yeah, that, that, that's, and that's the most important
1: it. thing that I think people don't understand. First off, very, very, very few people can do it,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: and, 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 and the window to do it is, is, is very small. Mm-hmm. But you want to win, you have to give up stuff you know yeah. um this is probably going to be a stupid reference um but it's from the the marvel movie endgame or infinity wars oh, or whatever yeah. endgame uh, right ahead. and
0: and all the marvel references
1: yeah well you know if you're going to get a soul if you have to get the soul stone you have to give up somebody right <laughs> and and spoiler alert right um black widow basically dies yeah. sacrifices herself so they can get the soul stone right well that's what it is and when you got to give up something mm-hmm to go win at the biggest level. And, and for some players, it's, I got to give up scoring or give up shooting as much or, you know, so that we can make that stuff, or I got to go throw myself more into the defensive side Mm -hmm. and things like that. You got to give up something to, to win and, and, and add that sacrifice. So I think, you know, a lot of guys want to win on their own terms. We've seen a lot of guys try to win on their own terms and a lot of them don't. And it's because, they're not giving up something and and part of it is they have to sacrifice something in their game to be able to get to that next level
0: by the way guys the reason i was chuckling there a little bit not because what most necessarily was funny is because on Mo, have you ever watched the uh, youtube series game of zones
1: yeah of course Yeah, it's yeah. the
0: episode i want to say maybe like season three or season four when katie he's on his free agency tour or whatever and uh, like he's, he visits San Antonio, Kawhi, Pop. Right. I think right. Manu's in there, Tony. They're just a like soul box in, in the dark, right. grimly voice. And I just had to laugh. I had to bust out a laugh there when you uh, said that, that.
1: It's a good one. It was funny when I saw it. I remember that.
0: Oh, man. Um, can we talk about it a little bit? Obviously, you got to work with them for two years. Um, how special? And I feel kind of now underrated because all three of them are retired now, and uh, Recency Bias is a hell of a drug. But can we talk about how good, special, and underrated that Spurs' big three was with Tim Duncan, Monta Ginobili, and Tony Parker was?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, the talk about leaving your ego at the door. You know, Pop was able to coach those guys and hard, you know, and would come down hard on those guys because you knew if I it, it set the tone. If I came down hard on Tim, that means a guy like Matt Bonner can't be upset if I yell at him. Right, it's those types of things. Those guys, very unselfish, and there were battles between them. Right, you know we've heard the stories of Tony and and Pop not getting along. Remember there was that eventual, like you know, the possibility they were going to trade Tony to New Jersey for Jason Kidd, and that stuff was going on during the finals when they were facing off with each other. Like there was all of that stuff, right? And 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 there's that stuff. But there's an the most important thing was there was a respect of the game and the work that came to it. They all three were unbelievable competitors. Right. And I think that was the big thing, right, was they wanted to come in and you wanted to compete. So they got Pops respect with just their competitive level, you know, of, of how they would do things like Manu Ginobili was a hard person for Pop to coach. Right. Oh, like, oh,
0: oh, man, I think Pops even said on the record, Manu's probably the toughest player he's ever had to coach
1: <laughs> because he had to be patient with them, Right. Like you have to live with some of Manu's crazy stuff, Manu gambling, Manu shots and things like that, because. You know, when Manu does that, you know, when it, it doesn't work, it hurts. But when it works, you win games. It's a competitive level of it. But, you know, the 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 respect of Manu's competitiveness, you know, is what kind of allowed Pop to do it, you know, allowed him to coach him. But it was a challenge for him, right? Like, that's not a guy, you, you a wild card who would do something wild like that you wouldn't always be comfortable with. But you also don't want to take that away from him because that's such a big part of Manu's game right like then Manu's not Manu and and you know he's a legend for a lot of the stuff he's done and his abilities on the court and and you know some of it was unpredictable and things like that but it was hard for Pop to kind of uh, coach him but once they kind of figured it out it's probably one of his favorite guys you know of all time in that stuff and I think there's there's a reason why that big three just works so well together Mm-hmm. is they all understood each other they all had the same commitment of trying to win a championship every year and i think it, you know it goes a long way and then allowing themselves to be coached which is something again we don't see from from players sometimes some of them really struggle with that especially, but allowing-
0: like, especially like at an nba level where i was telling Trevor, like i can never coach on an nba level because like the you have to deal with it's, it's kind of like political nowadays where you can't play a certain you have to play a certain player x amount of minutes because he gets paid x amount of money where and it's so rare to get guys like Manu or Tony Parker or Tim Duncan where they don't care like they just want to obviously want to play minutes you're better off with them on the floor but the, at the end of the day they just want to win and it's so hard nowadays I feel to find just a group of guys they'll stay together for that long but at the end of the day they just care about winning I could score five points but if we win that's all I care about
1: Yeah, and I think that's kind of the stuff we get from those guys. You know, Um, it's funny. Like, there's always a debate of who's better or whatever and things like that. They had a longevity of winning. Yeah. You know, Um, and all the way to winning their last championship together in 2014. You know, like, and that was a big one, considering they got their hearts broken in 2013. Mm -hmm. Like, I think, you know, it's for them to come back that next season and come back with a vengeance. Like, they're they're, – just some competitive dudes and you know nothing but respect for them obviously i'm biased but you know the they put in the work and that's the other thing that's most important you know like there'd be times in the gym i'd be i'd be breaking down games and i would just hear the shooting the shooting gun go the machine where it rebounds for you and there's tim just Working on shots quietly in in by himself and, and 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 getting shots up and things like that. Like they put in the work to be that team. And again, talk about straight line. Everybody being in line. They were all in line and all pushing towards the same goal. It 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 went really a long way for the organization.
0: You guys go fifteen thirty two. That's uh, your first season there. But the next season, you guys come back with a vengeance. Mono has an incredible season. You guys finished 61 21, clinched the first seed. I want to drop an F bomb so bad, but what the hell happened in that first round series against Memphis? Obviously, Manu misses game one with a hyperextended elbow. You guys lose by three. You guys fall to the Grizzlies in six games. And so, can you, like, from your vantage point, being uh, one of the film uh, video coordinators, what the hell happened in that series?
1: I'm still trying to figure it out, Sean. And thanks. You're just bringing up all the old hurts. <laughs> my bad, man. John Livingston. This, like, what's next, huh? Um, you want like to start? We have gone to a lob city yet. Like, what are we doing next, Sean? Um, no. The uh, uh first off, you got to give Memphis a ton of credit. Like, that was a a terrible matchup for us. Right? We we were not. We did not want to match up with them, and and sure enough, we end up with them, and they played their their butts off and you you know people don't understand that arena fedex form that's a hard place to play when they're rolling they are rolling and that started by the way three straight years of me having to play memphis in the first round of the playoffs because i go to the clippers the next year and we play them for two straight years after that like i was so freaking tired of memphis by the end of it
0: off topic Uh, did you guys i know you guys split the first two years. Which year did you guys beat them? The first year, lost the, the second, year. and then the you get doc. Okay. Okay.
1: The first year and then we lose to them the second year even though we went up 2-0. Blake sprained his ankle in practice. Um and then we we lose the next four, so. Yeah. Um but that first year with with San Antonio, honestly, shot like I thought we were winning the championship. It's conv- if, if and I'm still convinced of it. If we beat Memphis, we're winning the championship at the very least getting to the finals. Like we were that good. And Richard Jefferson, his second year with San Antonio, the first year didn't go as well. He really kind of struggled trying to find his way in the system and things like that. But that second year he shot the ball unbelievably well. He put a ton of time in with chip England, working on his shot, kind of reconfiguring it and, 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 and putting it together. And it was unbelievable. Our run Manu gets hurt the second-to-last game of the season, and I won't forget it. It was coming off of a uh, – he's defending a screen, and he throws his arm in between the ball handler and the mm. screener. And this is against Phoenix. I don't remember who was—who were the principals on Phoenix's side. And that catches his elbow, and it, you know, Hyper um, extent, yeah. hyperextends it. But I almost feel like – I think he even might have uh, fractured something in there. Um, and Manu was trying so hard to come back for game one. And, you know, finally, like, we just couldn't do it. And, give you know, Memphis wins game one at, on the road. They had all the momentum. They were super hyped up. They were ready to roll. And then just from then on, it was a straight series. And it was a young Mike Connolly, young Mark Gasol, the, Zach, uh, Randolph, Zach Randolph, Tony Allen. I mean, uh, Tayshawn Prince. Was was he there? then? Yeah, he was there then. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, you know, it's like they, they were – a tough tough team and and you saw the rise from them after that they were they, they were kind of their first step into kind of being a a a, re- a regular playoff team for a few years with that grit and grind group um but they were i mean it hurt us and and, and it, it hurt me because i knew that was my last year in san antonio because that was the the lockout was coming right after that um so you know like when you ask what what happened man we just hit the wrong team at the wrong time
0: so this actually, I'm glad you brought up the lockout because that was literally my next question. How did the lockout kind of like affect you? And you kind of brought it up, like you knew it was la- your last year because the lockout was uh, coming up after the season. If the lockout doesn't happen, do you think you wind back up in San Antonio in some capacity?
1: I have no idea.
0: Okay, so, fair enough. I, I
1: I really don't. Um, It's hard to kind of predict that in in that scenario. Um, The... the the thing was with the lockout we just knew and the spurs kind of were reading the t and give the organization credit again this is part of why they're a great organization they read the tea leaves and like yo this is there's going to be a lot of missed games you know and and they were trying to help me as early as february you know trying to even get me an opportunities to take a a, to find a college job you know they were because they were just saying like hey look you know there's not going to be any games like we're not going to have as big a video room. I'm like, "No, I understand that." And I only had a 2-year deal, like I understood after the second year I'm probably gone. Um you know, they were trying to set me up with college teams and things like that, but at that point too, I was also working for Team Australia with Brett Brown. So, I knew I had the off season, I was going to be in Australia and things like that, and I didn't want to try to commit to a team working for a college team knowing I got to go um, and 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 leave Australia. I wanted to be part of the Australian experience so um i kind of made the commitment myself just saying like look whatever happens gonna go to australia in the offseason do that when the, the hopefully the lockout won't won't be very long and and hopefully i'll be able to find find something from that point and again to the spurs credit i'm in australia i'm getting messages from you know rc buford trying to set me up with other coaches college coaches that you know like hey mo you this guy's expecting you to call. I come back, you know, and and whatever things just didn't work out. I come back from uh, Australia and you know, it's it's people are working behind the scenes that I didn't even know Sean. And this is kind of like, I found out after the fact, people are working behind the scenes, calling other organizations going like, yo, Mo's available. Like he's good. Like whenever this lockout ends, you need to reach out to him. And it kind of goes back to what we said earlier. It's not so much who you know sometimes, but who knows you, right? And those guys knew who I, w- and I'm talking about like, you know, uh, Chad Forcier making phone calls, Danny Ferry making phone calls, you know, on my behalf without ever telling me or even contacting me and telling me they're making these calls or things like that, you know, and, and, you know, it's, it's all of them vouching for me. And that that goes a long way. And then, you know, I get kind of lucky the the as the lockout is coming to an end, the guy who replaced me in the cl- with the Clippers left to go to Toronto. So there's an opening with the Clippers and it's all the same people I worked with, um, except Vinny Del Negro is the coach. So um, I that's how I kind of ended up back with the Clippers. But, you know, at that time, you know, I had no idea what was happening. You know, there was very close, Sean, to me just beginning. I bought the GMAT books. I was going to start studying. Maybe I'm going to go to grad school, get my MBA. Maybe that's it for me in the NBA. Um, So, like, there was a lot of stuff up in the air. And then the lockout ends. I I have a couple interviews with places, and I end up back with the Clippers.
0: I don't want to go hypothetical, but if it wasn't the Clippers, who would have been?
1: Well, I had in interview with the Cleveland Cavs and this is before this is after LeBron LeBron's has left, gone. so it's not the fun uh the fun time Cleveland Cavs um type of deal. I think it was young Kyrie, Kyrie's, like Kyrie just got drafted. Year?
0: Yeah. Kyrie uh, m- maybe Kyrie's rookie year or like the year before Kyrie's rookie. Yeah year.
1: it was it was something like that. Um but I think you know I, I had an interview with them. I don't know what would have happened um with that. But you know I remember interviewing with them. I think you know there there are I think I would have found a a place if it wasn't there. Somebody else, um, I I would have ended up somewhere. I think
0: fair enough. I I have have no idea where though. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like that's kind of how stuff like this goes, uh, whether it's sports media or like when you're working inside the NBA or in in the college game. Um, So obviously again, you go back to LA, your second still with the Clippers, the Lob City Clippers. First off, those teams are really, really fun. Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, obviously the big pieces of that team. Do you feel like, and we'll get more into your last year with them, and that year was, uh, I don't, even know, I don't even know how to describe that 13-14 team because it was uh, right. something, but were, do you feel like the Lob City Clippers, I know all the other players will say, but like, can you talk about like the missed opportunity they had? Obviously, this was a younger iteration of it, but how fun and just the potential of the Lob City era.
1: Yeah, I mean, ton of potential. It was you know, when we get Chris Paul and we had just gotten Chauncey Billups off the waiver wires, um, you know, like we had we went from a team before we had those guys going like, hey, maybe we could squeeze into being the eighth seed to all of a sudden we're contenders. And that's kind of, you know, one of those things it was it was tough because Blake Griffin's in his third or fourth year in the NBA He just missed. I mean, he had missed his entire rookie year the the first time around. DeAndre Jordan's still really young. Um, we have Eric Bledsoe who's really young. Like we had a lot of pieces, but all very young, very not fully understanding what it takes to be a, uh, forget a championship, a playoff team, a consistent playoff team Mm -hmm. and understand how freaking hard the playoffs are. Um, and I think, you know, Chris Paul knew that obviously Chauncey Billups who won a championship knew that, um, you know, there's, there was a lot of stuff for those guys, like having to learn and, and how to be this team. And, and it, it's amazing because a, a ton of young talent, but sometimes it's a level of those guys were probably too young and not ready for the, the, the level. Like Chris was on a different timeline than Blake and, and, and deandre so that kind of made it a little bit more challenging right and i think that was kind of why the i will always contend that's part of the reason why i think the lob city era never really took off it was fun as hell we had highlights left and right
0: every night yeah
1: it was great you know we enjoyed it our 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 second season together we go undefeated in the month of december Mm -hmm. um actually even before that we pull off a improbable game seven win in memphis yeah. Um. And won two games in Memphis, game one and game seven to uh, to advance into the, the second round. I mean, we got squashed by the Spurs. Yeah. Four. Uh, 0 but like we were exhausted, too. And things we weren't ready for that. But, you know, the next season we have higher expectations, not just from outside, but us ourselves. We have listened We've been to the playoffs. The guys have that understanding. We have an unbelievable December go undefeated. We're one of the best teams in the league. And then everything fell apart when the calendar changed our intensity dropped or we weren't as as locked in defensively we started to have some issues there we go into the playoffs though we get hot during the playoffs um uh we go up 2-0 on Memphis as we talked about and then mm-hmm. you know
0: we're I'm thinking like yo we're we're going to win this series you blew them out on. game 1 too
1: yeah like we came out in game 1 um and and crushed them and part of it too was I'm going to toot my own horn here a little bit.
0: Um, By all means, go ahead. You know, like I, I kind of had this
1: idea of just like, you know, we've shown nothing but Memphis game film. To we've, we've filmed these guys to death at this point, right, with all the game film. So I went to Benny and I said, hey, like I put together this highlight tape like before game one instead of the pregame film because like what else are we going to say at this point? We can't tell them for the fifth time how we want to guard Zach. If they don't have it by now, we're not going to defend Zach Randolph. We're not going to have
0: a shot. Yeah. We're not
1: going to do it. Um, So I have this highlight tape. Like, let's get the guys hyped up for for uh, game one. You know, and I show them this highlight tape. I've spliced in clips from the movie The Gladiator. I have music going. I have it rolling. I have – um Uh, the Bugatti song and I have Meek Mill on there. I have like all sorts of stuff going. Like everybody's kind of hyped up. We show it to them. Boom. We go out there. We win by like a thousand. I'm taking credit for that. Had nothing to do with the players. That was all me. All me, Sean. That was my one playoff win.
0: Hey, hey, you you, got to get some credit after all those years, right? (laughs) Yeah,
1: no, but I mean like, but you know, we go up to, oh, and again, this is how this is how small margin of error there is in yeah. the NBA, right? Blake lands on somebody's ankle or somebody's foot and sprains his ankle incredibly bad. We don't win another game the rest of that playoff series. Vinny Del Negro gets fired after having won 56 wins uh, that season. The best mm-hmm. season the Clippers have ever had. You know, um, I think there's it's, – it it's doesn't take much. You know, and and that's the other thing I just learned in the NBA. There are when everybody's like, "Oh, that championship was lucky." They're all lucky. It, oh yeah. It's it's it, it, it just one thing goes wrong and everything can fall apart, and that's exactly what happened to us with w- with those two years with uh, Vinny.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely takes an element of luck to win a, to win an NBA championship, and players talk about now now more than ever. Maybe like if you go back. To 2012, 2013, right? This season, right? From this season on, you can't find a champion, a championship team that won without getting some sort of luck, or whether it was an injury, weird shot, weird shot being the quiet shot, like that year. Um, Ray Allen doesn't hit that shot, the Heat don't win, right? Next I mean, we could go, we can go all go the on way and to, on.
1: If PJ Brown doesn't have an unbelievable game seven, a uh, Boston doesn't win. Boston, yeah you, you know like there's i mean like there's there's like it's funny like when the warriors won their first championship doc rivers came out and said that was lucky
0: and people like probably really i, I don't remember people i would imagine people ridiculed him for him but like well,
1: you can't- no he's he's the reason why the the warriors won 73 and 9 the next season <laughs> he pissed them off they Thanks, were like doc. that was luck okay and then they went off right and that was the thing so i think it's part of that and yeah i think those are the things you know it's it's people will never understand, but it's such a small margin of error. And every further round you go in the playoffs,
0: it gets smaller. It yeah. is,
1: you know, and it's and it's incredibly tough. And, and I don't think people really understand that sometimes.
0: And when we say lucky, guys, we're not saying like that team may not have been good enough to win a championship. We're saying like if this hap like this thing happens or it doesn't happen in, in some cases, things change Rather than not more times than not, rather dramatically, like again, like the first Golden State year, Kyrie's out, Kevin Love's out. It's pretty much LeBron and D'Angelo as second best player. Cavs losing six. You can make a legitimate argument if even one of the other stars play, they beat Golden State next year. Draymond gets suspended, in game five, he misses game five. Cavs they come back right. Uh, next year, that might be one of the few cases sixteen seventeen, unless I'm missing something.
1: I mean, we, we have a lot of stuff. I mean, like, what's the, the – the if Chris Paul doesn't strain his hamstring.
0: Yeah, yeah, the 17-18. He, he
1: beats yep. – you know, the, Houston probably beats the Warriors, you know. And, and, and Warriors fans always say, well, if Andre Iguodala, pl- pl- Andre Iguodala played. It. same But same stuff, though, right? Yeah. Like, there's just so yeah. many different things. That's all it is. So, yeah. you know, we hit a bit of bad luck. I mean, go back to that Spurs series. What if Manu doesn't get hurt in that last game? Yeah. Do we. I, I think we win game one. We only lost by three, you know, yeah. maybe, you know, who, who knows? Maybe if so bad, we like by 2 But 2-0 like,
0: going to Memphis is so different than 1-1. 1-1. So different. And
1: so I, I think that's kind of the, the the stuff there that gets lost sometimes.
0: Yeah. And also, I'll go out on a limb that uh, if Chris Paul doesn't get hurt, 17-18, LeBron has a fifth ring right now. There you go, respectfully. Um. All right. So after that season, Doc you, Doc comes in. You get to work with Ty Lue as well. He's an assistant on the staff. By the way, the amount of assistants or video guys that you've worked with that are now <laughs> been head coaches, like Doc, <laughs> Ty Lue,
1: Doc. Let me just run through the list. We just, I mean, I mean, forget about the guys that were already head coaches. Budenholzer, Brett Brown, James Borrego, uh, Ty Lu. Um. Who else? No, I, four, but that's still a pretty good run.
0: It's a it's a couple others because I was doing some research before. It's a couple others even.
1: Um, who else has gone on then? That I, man, somebody's gonna get mad at me for forgetting. What <laughs> <Right>. people, <though. laughs> Nobody cares about me. They're not gonna remember.
0: Oh <laughs> uh, man, but you get to work with those guys. How was it like working with Doc and Tyloo? Like, what was kind of like the biggest adjustment going from? Um, Vinny and to now going to doc and Tyler honestly forgot Tyler was on that coaching staff, 13, 14,
1: you know, it's always, it's the same adjustment as when I went from the Clippers to San Antonio, mm-hmm. you know, it's Vinny likes film, a certain way. Pop likes film a certain way. Coach Dunleavy likes film a certain way. Doc likes film a certain way, right? Like you got to kind of feel it out and, and and figure out how they want things done and things like that it was i'll tell you what like it was not a surprise to me when Lu became the the head coach of cleveland and has won the championships and one of the best head coaches in the nba mm-hmm. you know wh- when i look at it it's um you can kind of see it like he put in a ton of work into that into being the the defensive coordinator basically for doc that year and he he worked his butt off and you could see all of that there and and you know, I mean, Doc, you know, let's be honest, Doc, let me go at the end of the season. I didn't have a good year. I, you know, as a video guy, you got to deliver, right? And my first year with Doc, I have to deliver above expectations, you know, because it's, it's an, I need to blow him away. And I didn't, and I didn't have a good year and Doc let me go. Um, And he was right to, I didn't think I was, I, I even now in my, I didn't perform to my level of expectations. So um, with that, but Yo, I mean, you just see it like Doc gets guys. He gets guys motivated. He can kind of get those guys going. Very smart, again, as well, X's and O's. There's nobody in the coach. There's very few guys, you know, we talk about it like the IQ level of these coaches is another level. I don't get me wrong. I second guess coaches all the time. That's kind of what I do on Twitter. Um, But like Doc's a very smart coach, very intuitive. The only thing I would say that that he probably wasn't ready for was he came in as team president as well and he had to now handle front office and being coach at the same time and that didn't work out because general manager doc did not really pan out right like that was you know byron mullins was supposed to be the missing piece for us let me repeat that byron mullins was supposed to be the missing piece for us you know for a team to, to contend and that's like yo that's not the, the number of people on your podcast who heard me said that and went, "Who? Like that's my point, right?" I had to second
0: like, guess myself for a little bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's 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 along those lines. So, you know, I think, um, you know, it, it was amazing to work with them and an the opportunity to see that, you know, and 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 see how they they operate. And Doc, you know, d- did stuff I was very impressed with. Film film before practice was like three minutes. Boom. In and out. You know, he wanted to get these guys on the court, do stuff and, and get them out and rest and things like that. So I think there was some interesting stuff there that I saw from Doc that I was pretty impressed with.
0: The fact that you said Doc had a three minute film session is like I, I, I almost like I, I'm shocked because both of the coaches on high school and college level. Man, they, they are well more accustomed to having longer film sessions.
1: Oh, no. Like, I've been with coaches that have a film session that's 30 minutes and guys are falling asleep. Like, it's not, you know. That's like, it still. I mean, no. But, I mean, still, like, it's a wild, yeah, you know, like, there's different iterations of it and things like that, you know. And I think, you know, like, I was, I, you know, it was, Doc was, let's go hit the points and get out, you know, mm-hmm. and get them get them on the court and things like that. Cause you know, that, that was his, and it wasn't that doc didn't believe in film. Cause he studied the film all the time. He was on top of it himself. It was just didn't want to bombard these guys too much with stuff. And so that was kind of the game plan there. All
0: right. 2013, 14, kind of more talk about the team itself. It's still kind of hard to describe this team because it more so like, I mean, you can you can kind of describe them on the court, but it's more, a lot of the off-the-court stuff, and then you have the season not kind of ending in a meltdown. But all in all, was this probably your best shot in winning a ring, although you've been on some really, really good teams?
1: I still think my best shot was with the Spurs in the, the, the year we were number one. Um, this was probably the Clippers' best shot at winning a championship, I would say. Um, you know, I think we had a good squad going. We had J.J. Redick rolling. Um, on you you know uh he gets a rough shake but Jared Dudley was badly injured like through most of the season was playing through injuries really all year long um and and but he was like an important piece you know we kind of had a good squad going I think we were really CP had just re-signed with the team and was really motivated look Blake Griffin had, had playoff experience under his belt uh um excuse me uh DeAndre Jordan had some experience under his belt in the playoffs and kind of understanding the level it took and DJ took a leap defensively right under under Doc like he went to another level defensively like we were really a solid solid squad and then you know it, it, we can talk about we won't don't want to talk about the off the court stuff but it, it definitely played a role in it you know and it's 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 you know we the year sterling gets kicked out of the league basically yeah. right in the middle of the playoffs the middle, yeah you know we go um we go one and one we split the the home court with the the warriors you know we go up 2-1 in in golden state the news breaks with sterling you know we lose game 3 uh game 4 excuse me um pretty pretty convincingly cuz you know we had dealt with let me just put it to you this way it was a first round matchup. There wasn't a ton of media around us all of a sudden the Sterling news break and the media grew exponentially. They're waiting outside our hotel rooms. You know, I'm just like, yo, I'm not walking outside to go get lunch and clipper gear anymore. Um, Cause that, you know, I feel bad for Blake and those guys, they can, they can't hide the way I could, but like, you have a lot of stuff in that. And I think there's uh challenging there. So um, we just kind of ran out of gas and then we get to, Oklahoma City, we have a chance to win game five in Oklahoma City. You know, meltdown, yeah. And CP just has a very uncharacteristic, you know, meltdown in the final three, four minutes of that game, and we blow that game. And that's you, you guys know, were up
0: game six too, right? By double digits in that second quarter, if I remember correctly, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, second quarter leads don't mean much, they but mean, like yeah, you know, enough. um, you know, but we lose game five then we and then we and then we lose game six and the season's over you know in a blink and it's just it that's all it took you know but that was probably the Clippers That was probably my best chance with the Clippers so well, obviously it was my last chance but um you know that was probably my the, the Clippers best chance I think under the, the the Doc Rivers year to win it with the Lob City crew
0: mm-hmm. all right so we obviously just talked about a lot there so I guess let's start a little bit like this backtrack just a little bit back to the Donald Sterling thing. You kinda of talked on it a little bit. Guys like Doc, JJ Redick on his podcast. If you guys don't listen to that already, for the people listening, I highly encourage you to listen to it. I'm listening to it all the time. It's a great podcast. But he's talked about it on end. Blake Griffiths talked about it on it. Like all these guys. They've just talked about it on and on. But the Donald Sterling situation, keep talking about like how everybody like it handled it internally and the guys have talked about it, how close the team wants to Sam now nah, we're not playing game four
1: I mean it was it was probably closer game five, okay, I think game four we were still trying to figure out what the hell um we're doing in that uh stuff, also, mind you again, I'm the video coordinator. nobody was talking to me about the what should we do strategy wise for a protest, right? like I am just an idiot video guy, like nobody really kind of uh asked, seeked my input on any of this um. I will say, though, it was probably the most impressive examples of leadership in a difficult situation I've seen from Doc Rivers. Um, You know, like, it's a tough situation. It's so up in the air. We have no idea what the hell is going on. Um, And, you know, we have calls from people outside the organization. Clippers should boycott and not play the playoffs and things like that. And people are like... You know, the fact, you know, it's it's funny, many years after the fact, people are like, I can't believe they played. I'm like, you know, I kind of go back to what Doc was saying to the guys. You know, nobody goes to win a championship for the owner. Right. Like nobody was like when LeBron won it in Cleveland, he wasn't like, man, this is for Dan Gilbert. You know, like that wasn't what motivated
0: If anything, him. it was kind of the opposite. <laughs>
1: right, you know, but like any of them, right? Miami, he wasn't trying to win it for Mickey Harrison. He's trying to win it for himself. You know, all of these guys that win championships. Maybe the ownership has, maybe you have a, ties to them. You love those guys and you want to or whatnot. But it wasn't, you didn't get into the game because you wanted to play for the, these these, these mm-hmm. team owners and stuff. You know, so there was that. And then Doc said, it's always going to be people who have nothing to lose. Or have no stakes in this that are going to tell you to boycott and things like that we just got to go do our jobs and go play and and do it to the best of our abilities everything else will work itself out you know uh from there but you know the other stuff he did was it wasn't just the players man like got to give doc a ton of credit he pulled all the support staff not just the trainers not just the video guys not just the strength coach the the community group the the people that do community outreach like the the people in the f- offices that nobody really knows about uh our pr staff and 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 the behind the scenes folks you know he just brought everybody together for a meeting and just said hey guys like i just want to check in on you guys every you know like this is some heavy stuff we're all dealing with it we're all trying to figure this out and 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 this was that was a, a, i was blown away by that leadership from doc in that sense. Like I was pretty impressed with it. So, you know, you, you, you look at that and that's kind of the stuff we handled it internally. Once we got past the warriors, it was behind us, you know, we were ready to play the Oklahoma city warriors and we weren't, excuse me, Oklahoma city thunder. And we weren't concerned mm-hmm. about Sterling at that point, you know, whatever was going to happen with the team being sold or whatnot, that was going to happen in the off season We're we got to go try to beat these guys and get to the conference finals.
0: Yeah. And then also, it doesn't help that you're facing a really young Golden State team that, that was hungry. They obviously go, uh, they make a coaching change and they go win the NBA finals next season. But, man, that's tough. And, and I love that story you told about Doc. That, that's a really cool story. Yep. Um, again, doing research before our interview or our podcast episode or whatever you want to call it. One of the things that kind of interested me the most, and this is something that I really wanted to ask you what happened? Why haven't you returned per se? Is it kind of like a thing where you don't get brought back and it's kind of hard to get your foot back, re- re-enter that foot back into the door? And I guess as a final end to that question, would you still be open to a potential return?
1: So, you know, that whole year, I think I I kind of was burnt out. You know, I, I've, I for three years straight, Two years in San Antonio, my first year with the Clippers, every offseason I was going to Australia for, uh, you know, work with Team Australia. So I was not getting a break, any chance to recharge my batteries or anything like that. And the first year, you know, the the I come back, uh, It's it's you guys got to understand the schedule was like. As soon as the draft ended, I usually had like a week off or so. And then I was on a flight to Australia and I'm gone the rest of the way. And then usually when I came back, it was literally like a few days before training camp. So there was no chance to rest or recharge. Um, the doc's first off season with the Clippers, the summer we hire a doc. That's my first off season. I had gone, I hadn't gone to summer league for three, four years at that point. Like I was at summer league and then I had an off season. Like I just kind of had a chance to sort of, rest a little bit but i was burnt out on basketball so even that year with doc you know like i was beginning to wonder if i really wanted to keep doing this um you know part of it is doc came and and as well as every coaching staff does it's he brought a whole crew with him and and you know i kind of dropped down a whole bunch of rungs down the ladder and you know that that made me just kind of go like do how much longer am i gonna i didn't did get in the NBA to stay in the video room I wanted to move up and just seeing the opportunity to move up being a lot harder I just kind of was a little bit like how long am I going to keep trying at this level so Doc lets me go I had opportunities if I wanted um to go look at other you know other places but I think you know when when Doc let me go even if he didn't let me go I think that was going to be my last year anyways I think I was done um so i you know, I, people who, again, people calling other people on my behalf, you know, saying so-and-so is going to call you, they're looking for somebody at the, you know, I recommended you and stuff. I had to call other people going like, Hey, I think I'm done, you know, and I kind of regret it a little bit because Alvin Gentry went to Golden State oh. like that year.
0: And uh, I, you know,
1: I don't know if I could or not, but I probably could have called Alvin and asked for a shot, uh,
0: <laughs>
1: and maybe I would have had a ring. Maybe had like, a ring. <laughs> maybe that would have been the opportunity, but uh, you know, I kind of just I was done. You know, I was completely out of it. Um, you know, and 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 just wanted to see what uh normal life is like. Um, and you know, took a regular job.
0: I know I, I know. saw that. I was like, what the hell did the guy win for me to video coordinator?" Yeah, no,
1: to doing tech recruiting and, and, and shout out to all the people who do staffing out there. I hated every second of it. Um, wasn't for me. And then, you know, eventually just fell into sports media and, and, and it's, it worked out for me. And, and I'm not going to close the door completely, but it's not what I'm seeking. I'm going to look work for a team. If if a team wants to call me and, 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 and give me and, and, and talk to me about an opportunity, I'm always going to listen. Um, but I, I, I don't have any anticipation or, 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 or I'm not trying to get back. If somebody calls and an opportunity, makes sense. I'd be, I'd, I'd, I'd jump back in, but I'm not sure if that's going to happen. And if that's something I'd really do.
0: Well, either way, man, we'd be rooting for you. Uh, yeah, that's cool. Cause yeah, that was, I, I knew as soon as I saw, I was like, the hell this guy was a tech recruit for like
1: two. gotta years. go you gotta go explore a little bit sometimes. And that's what I did. And um you know it just uh uh you know made me realize like that's not for me man.
0: Yeah. And that's why like part of the reason why I I'm, I'm staying for now as a manager and stuff like that, trying to see it through a little bit. It's Cause at the end of the day I'm still a competitor even though I don't play and I want to ring so bad. Yeah. I want to like I-, I want something Like when I was the video coordinator for our high school team, we had a shot to like cut down some nets or whatever, but we fell short. And then obviously this year didn't go. We didn't. We couldn't win the conference tournament. So I'm like, damn, I gotta get a ring. Like I can't. I can't leave. And and I wonder, like, if that's bothered you at all. Like now that you're out of it, and especially you just bring up the Alvin Gentry thing. I I did. I got sick of my stomach for you. I'm like, oh man, I could have called. I I could have called
1: Alvin. Yeah. No. It it didn't. It didn't it doesn't bother me i don't sit there and think like damn i really you know wish I, I i won a championship i mean i got to do something even a lot of video coordinators don't get to do. a lot of coaches don't even get to do i got to be part of an olympics team mm-hmm.
0: you know and go to the yeah, olympics true. i got to
1: be i got i got everything i possibly could ask for out of the game would it have been nice hell yeah <laughs> yes i would love to have the ring and show it off and whatever and you know Oh, I was a champion, you know, like all that stuff, but also it's, it's not going to be the, the thing that defines me. It's not in, it's not going to hurt me the way it would hurt a player.
0: Yeah. Like, I understand enough.
1: it from a player perspective in that sense. Um, and don't want anybody get it mixed up. I'm competitive as all hell, but I mean, it's not going to be something that um, really hurts me to the point that i feel like man i left that on the floor or i, I wish i had a championship or anything like that i, I i'm i gonna be i'm just fine without it
0: so you started jump ball net uh great site and you have your uh youtube channel as well for it uh how cool is that of a moment for you i, I, I imagine you gained to start your own thing
1: it was Weird as hell, Sean, because I had no idea what the hell I was doing. And if you go read those articles on the it's like, yo, like, again, this dude cannot write a sentence. What the hell? Um, like the, the, the stuff behind it. But I knew the content was interesting. And I felt like this was an area that needed to be. There are people that do it mainly like guys like Zach Lowe and stuff. who do a great job kind of explaining concepts and stuff like that. But I wanted to really drill down on a lot of things that I found really interesting. Um so yeah so I just kind of continued from there and it's been it's been a hell of a ride. Um you know I was actually just joking with friends of mine the other day about like my growth just on Twitter cuz I remember when I just had like 20 followers on Twitter and it we were all friends you know and 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 somebody I know with a big following kind of like hey you guys should be following Mo for you know basketball stuff and this was like I didn't know what the hell I was doing on Twitter, and next thing you know, my phone—I had to turn my phone off. It was vibrating all day, with you know people follow, you know followers, and Great I gained hundred all of a sudden. And then yeah. you know, eventually, it was like, Oh, okay, I've at a thousand. Like you know, the the small milestones. I'm like, wow, this is really kind of gaining steam. And I, I'm, I'm appreciative of everybody that that follows me. I hope the content's good. I enjoy the videos and everything I put out, articles and pods and stuff because. You know, it's, it's, it's mainly from the point of like, yo, know, I have some institutional knowledge, some knowledge of what's going on in the NBA in a way that and, and I see it in a way that some people don't because of my experiences that I could share mm-hmm. um, with everybody. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an unbelievable ride. I mean, the funnier thing was like the original name for the website was so God awful that my my friends constantly make fun of me for it because it was just called Moe's B-Ball Blog because I didn't know what the hell to name it. <laughs> and then had to sit down and really think about it and then call it the jumpball.net. And then somebody, after I changed it, everything, have a logo, all that stuff, somebody's like, man, you really should have called it Nothing nothingbut.net.
0: And I'm like, you can't come to me now about that. Right. right. Like, come on. man. Where was this? Like when I was I needed you
1: a week ago. Right. You know, Um, so but anyways, but like, yeah, it's just, you know, it's it's those kinds of things. So I'm even now still learning as I go and, and doing these things. All
0: right. So let's wrap things up here with some rapid fire questions. And we have a segment that we end the show with called Flip the Table. We'll end up with those things. So a few rapid fire questions for you. All right. Number one, who are your top five coaches in the league right now?
1: In the league right now, um, Ty Lu, Eric Spolstra, Ime Yudoka. Um,
0: okay.
1: I yeah, surprised you with that one. They're having a hell of a run. I like I don't it. Think
0: you, I uh, like do, it, but, yeah. You know. Okay.
1: Okay. Um, I'm trying to think just top five. I'm always going to leave people off the the list. I should say Frank Vogel just to piss off Laker fans. But You're going to piss me off not. by saying that.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> not, uh, Steve Kerr's right there. Um, I know Warriors fans like to really. We all, everybody, gets second guess second-guess coaches, especially about rotations and things like that. That stuff's kind of funny to me. Um, I, I would say Taylor Jenkins, but the one thing I want to say, though, Sean, is this is probably the best coaching we've had in the NBA. Oh yeah, for a long time. Like when you look at Coach of the Year,
0: it's like man, you could go Monty, you could go nine different names. Up. Right? Well, and, that's no way, Miidoka. You worked with him in uh, San Antonio. He was a player. There, there we go. go that was um awesome.
1: yeah it's true so that's that's another one um but you know like for you know i also just naming the top five and i completely forgot monty williams and and nick nurser yep. guys that are probably that are in my top i got like eight people for my top five sean i don't know how you're gonna deal with that
0: no, no worries if i had to make a top five nick in no order i think it's it gets tough when you have to do an order but nick eric's bolstra monty's probably in there Dang, yeah, it's pretty tough. Like four through like eight, I don't care what order you throw them in. I would give just based off of this year, j Kidd deserves some love a little bit. You're right, um, yeah, dang. but for
1: me, again, I, I I will say this though: I think the top two coaches in the NBA are Eric Spoelstra
0: and Ty Lue. Everybody else is. How about that. Ty Lue? Come on, Sean, gotta be better. Yeah. I love Ty Lue, love him. Um, build a starting five. This might be tough. Build a starting five of players that you've gotten to work with during your eight years. Two years to San Antonio. Your three years with the Lob City Clippers. Your two. Uh, Your first stint with the Clippers. I mean, if I had to guess, Tim Duncan's on the list. That's probably the one. That's the one.
1: No, I mean it's it, that's a hard, that's a hard, hard thing to do with because I've been very lucky with yeah. the talent I got to be around. Um, I mean, Tim and Manu for sure are on the list. CP's okay. going to edge out Tony Parker which might be kind of controversial um i'm gonna put blake on there okay tim's gonna be my center blake's gonna be the 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 power forward you know the funny and and manu's my two guard the the wing position has always been a weakness in my run in the nba you know i've never had truly a great wing wing player yeah Um, because who's the best maybe i just rj was probably the 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 biggest like RJ Matt Barnes and those guys were probably like you know, Karan Butler, you know, JJ Reddick, and and, and that stuff. I'd probably, I mean, probably go uh, uh, screw it, I'll just go small, I'll go CP, Tony Parker, Manu, Tim, and uh, and uh, Blake,
0: win a lot of games there. Uh, a lot of fun, (laughs) it's a lot of fun too, yeah. Uh, who would be? Who are your favorite NBA league pass teams to watch? Just give me like a, your favorite three or whatever.
1: Memphis is a, a, a ton of fun to watch. Early in the season, I liked Cleveland. The injuries have caught up to them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Anytime KD's on the court, Brooklyn's going to be the team I want to watch. Uh, hmm. Problem is, Sean, I watch all of them. I love them all. Like League Pass is my, the only channel I'm basically on the most. <laughs> You know, when I turn on my TV, it's like blank waiting for the next game to come on. (laughs) So um, it's not even that. Um, And the Warriors, they play such a beautiful brand of basketball.
0: And just because like Steph or Clay might go nuts at any
1: but it's not even that. Even if they don't go nuts, it's the brand of basketball amazing. that they play—the movement, the cutting. It's it's such a high
0: IQ. Off ball screening, yeah. You,
1: you know, Denver. I love watching Jokic. You know, it's it's a lot of fun with with that stuff, and and you know, kind of the way he sort of manipulates the 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 court and the defense. You know, like it's it's there's a lot of fun times. It's a great time to be a basketball fan.
0: Oh, absolutely, and it's March Madness now too. Heck yeah, it it's been so like crazy. Like the Lakers lost by thirty. It's NFL free agency now. I haven't even gotten the complete chance. To, like, look at my bracket and just like actually have like, a complete thought about who I have. I kind of have a, a small idea, but if I had to go favor lead past teams, I tend to gravitate towards great defensive teams. So I love watching Boston, especially like after December. I love right. watching Boston. Dallas. I love watching Dallas. Lucas also incredible. Tatum's also incredible as well. Um, and then either. And pick like a, a flyer team. Toronto's really fun to watch. They're really lengthy, yeah. and Scotty Barnes is a player. So. It's all length. It's unbelievable. All length. Like There's, Fred VanVleet is the shortest guy, but he's like a, a long six three six four. Like, it's, 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 uh. All right. Who wins the NBA Finals? The Phoenix Suns. Ooh. Okay. Okay. They've gone about this
1: whole season the, kind of the way the Spurs did in twenty fourteen. Like, Even with injuries right now, and they're still racking up wins, like I'm,
0: like, like they got like a pissed off attitude about them.
1: Oh, they just they just have that understanding of really what it's going to take. And I just think they're the team. I think the team that comes out of the East is going to be bloody and beaten because, holy crap, a that's bath. a bloodbath. That yeah. Eastern Conference, you know, it's it's the only two teams you probably want to play. The only the only one real weak team in there is probably Cleveland. You know, even the seven, eight, which potentially could be Toronto and and, and Brooklyn, like, crap, like what them. the hell, right? You know, like what the hell, like that's just every series is going to be a wild one. So, and then the second round, it's it's there's no easy path. So, I think it's uh it's going to be fun whoever, for us. Oh, it's going to be fantastic! I, mean, <laughs> I can't wait. Can't wait. But it's going to be a bloodbath, you know. Whereas I think like Phoenix is going to be able to kind of have a little bit of. Their toughest challenge, I think, is going to come in the in the conference finals, whether it's the Warriors or the Grizzlies.
0: Yeah, I was saying this on one of our other podcasts. I think a couple of weeks ago. At this point, Chicago was still the one seed because Zach Levine wasn't out yet. Demar was still playing a ridiculously high level. I was like, oh, great! Chicago's reward is going to be playing the Brooklyn Nets in the first round. <laughs> I mean, that's
1: that's it's funny. Like we did a thing on the podcast. Would you rather be? the first or second or in the east or third and the third you're getting third. probably Cle- <laughs> but, and, and, and cleveland might drop to seven i mean seven just with the injuries and stuff yeah. and now so now you're in a tough it gets really interesting real quickly
0: uh i don't know if you've had time i mean i, I don't know if you have time to really look at this but who wins the national ter- uh, national championship in college basketball
1: john i'm gonna piss you off i don't watch college basketball damn it
0: all right, I'll no, go I'm bare. just gonna this go with
1: there. my. I'm gonna go with my my heart and USC because I'm an alum. Let's go Trojans, <laughs> fight go. on, baby.
0: <laughs> there we go. Fair enough. All right, last uh rapid fire question: You could invite five people, dead or alive, to a dinner party. Who are those five people?
1: Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, Coach Pop, Muhammad Ali, uh,
0: hmm.
1: Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Mm. I think it it would be a very interesting conversation with him. Uh, I'm trying to think of just the table too. That would be an, the, you know what? That's it's just those table. three and me. I don't need anybody else. Like after that, we're probably pretty chill. Um, too
0: many people at that point.
1: <laughs> no, I just like, I, cause I'm not going to say a word. I just want to see
0: the three of them talk. Because <laughs> let them talk.
1: Let, let them go and, 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 and have that conversation Uh, with, with that. So I I, I think that's, I'm going to cheat and just say those three
0: all right cool and then the last thing flip the table is our co-host warner sanker he would normally explain so basically flip the table is uh we basically reversed it and now I, if you have any questions it'll be for either me or warner but just it's just me show related sports related life related anything so mo also warner at this time would normally like try to flip his table but go ahead and mo flip the table if anything if not we can wrap up
1: what what's so now that you're a manager what's your goal ultimately or do you not know yet
0: uh, if I stay with like the manager thing, I mean, ideally, I think for the most part, the goal of everybody is to be a coach, a head coach. I think that's the goal. Um, at the NBA or college level, college level. Like I said, oh, okay. like I said earlier, I would, especially especially like how the NBA is now, like where you have to play. Just because of the politics of you have to play X amount of player or this player X amount of minutes, because they make a certain amount of money. No, I, I can't do that.
1: I'm, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you this tidbit here, Sean. That's exactly how I started when I was a manager. Really. And by the time I was done with college, I wanted nothing to do with college basketball. Cause I didn't like the idea of recruiting, which is also going to be political yeah. and then having to make sure these kids are going to class academics, things like that. It's here's the beauty of it. Here's the thing, Sean. It's going to be involved in everything you do there's always going to be a level of politics and things like that you know for me i used to go college is the most purest game i don't think that's the case anymore even college coaching it's all about more it's more about recruiting than actual coaching mm-hmm. and that's why for me it's it's uh, that was the thing that kind of flipped it for me but uh, yeah I, I hear you but that's exactly how i started and then it was like yep no nothing to do with college
0: fair enough fair enough i, I appreciate the uh second it perspective if you will on that um and if there's nothing else then that's wrap it for me up. bud well thank you so much moe been a great first guest for this podcast series i felt like we had a great conversation and uh again follow Mo. great follow on twitter if you guys just like looking at things from an x is no standpoint or just basketball in general Mo d-a-k-h-i-l-l underscore mba on twitter again great follow and Mo, appreciate you my guy for coming on
1: Oh, thank you for having me, Sean.
0: All right. Episode one is a wrap. Appreciate you guys for tuning in and we'll see you guys next time. Peace out.